Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of The Pig Edge, Chagas' Pig Podcast with me, Amy Quinn, where we are bringing you the latest news, information and advice to keep Irish pig farmers up to date. For this episode, I am delighted to be joined by two guests, Chagas Pig researcher Keelan O'Driscoll and Head of Pig Knowledge Transfer, Kieran Carroll. In this episode, we discuss Waffle 2021, a recent international welfare research conference that took place last month, hosted by Chagas and the University College Cork. We discuss the key points of interest that can be taken from this conference for Irish producers. I first ask Eden to give us a little bit of background about the conference. This conference um, is one that happens every three years. We have a four year gap this year because unfortunately last year we were scheduled to host it in UCC, but unfortunately um, COVID got in the way of it. So the official title of the conference is the International Conference on the Assessment of Animal Welfare at Farm and Group Level. And I guess um, from the title, you can tell that um, although we, there are some there's some work on, on animals like zoo animals included, most of it would be farm animals. And this year, actually, most of our presentations were on pigs, which was very appropriate because um, the organising committee consists of myself, Laura Boyle, yourself, Amy, and then Fidelma Butler from UCC. Um, so we had four days of conference. It was a virtual event. Um, we were delighted to have it opened by the president of UCC and the director of Chagask and the head of the biological school. Um, and then we were delighted as well that our own minister for agriculture gave the closing address. So we felt this kind of um, recognised the importance of the area, I suppose, um, in Ireland. Kieran, you were a conference delegate. What presentations really stood out for you from a pig farmer's point of view? Yeah, I suppose it was an interesting conference overall um, and there was a lot to be taken out of it. Uh, I suppose to pick a couple of papers, one was uh, by uh, Jacinta Boos from Wageningen University and basically what she did, she did a literature review looking at the whole area of feeding patterns uh, and different factors then that might impact on that from a pig perspective. Um, and I, I suppose most of us know, most of the, the feeding or eating done by pigs is done during daylight hours. But this can change then depending on different stresses uh, that may come on the system. So clinical disease, obviously anything like that that's going to stress a pig is going to decrease intake. But um, there was some interesting stuff around, the, you know, pigs that suffered chronic disease or, you know, fever, things like that had a much more depressed feed intake than, say, a pig that was lame. So a lame pig would go to eat um, more so than a pig that was struggling with fever. Um, on the heat stress side, and you might think maybe Ireland isn't an issue, or heat stress isn't an issue in Ireland, but I suppose if you think of the July, we had some very hot weeks there. Um, and obviously heat, is, heat stress where pigs are stressed, they're going to decrease their, their intakes, but being the clever animals they are, they're able to shift their patterns. So what, what was seen is that while weather was really hot and, and the housing temperatures might have been really hot, the pigs shifted their eating to nighttime. And I suppose a lesson there for us from an Irish perspective is say you're on a wet feed system on your farm and feeding four to six times over the course of a day with most of those feeds during daylight hours. It might be worth considering increasing your frequency of feeds during the nighttime in periods of hot weather. So that would be a, a very relevant take home message there. And then she, she also looked at the whole area of feed competition and, you know, and more, more competition for feeders. They looked at increasing the numbers uh, of uh, pigs in a pen or reducing the, the area or the number of, of feed, feed spaces. Um, found that overall, over all the papers they looked at, there was no real difference in terms of intake it did, it, from a group perspective. So the overall group of pigs 
eating didn't uh, lose lose uh, intake. Um, and the, the pigs, again, being clever as they are, they, they spread the duration. So while at an individual basis, some pigs would, would have suffered uh, on increased competition, most of them were able to spread their eating patterns over a longer period uh, during, over the day, over the course of the day. So they ate uh, more often, but maybe less less uh, of a duration. And while they were feeding, they increased the rate of, of, of eating as well to, to compensate. Uh, another interesting paper, and it took me back actually to a time, I remember John Dunn, uh, an Irish colleague who's working in an international company now at the moment, but he would have done a lot of work um, on uh, sow reproduction. But just to give you the background on this paper was Megan Hayes from Australia, uh, where she looked at the, the effect of positive interactions on, on pigs. Uh, so that's, a, you know, proper handling, proper care. And they looked at it at three days of age and at three weeks of age where they were doing different procedures. So ironing, teething and tailing, uh, vaccinations, maybe at three weeks and things like that. And basically the, the take home message was the more positive uh, a handler was with the pigs by providing good positive handling on a daily basis, not just at, at the procedure time, but going in, looking at the pigs, being, being um, I suppose, friendly to the pigs and, and working with the pigs and providing a positive uh, influence on them that they, it increased the stress resilience of the pigs. So they were more able to cope with the, the different procedures that were being carried out. And I go back then to John Dunn, they found a similar, <clears throat> it was also with uh, Paul Hemsworth uh, and Hughes in, in Australia as well, coincidentally, where they found the same thing that where sows were being managed properly and handled friend, in a more friendly ma uh, manner, that the, the reproductive performance was much better. So they would have been two of the, the take home papers for me over the course of a few days. Keelan, was there any standout presentations for you? Um, well, for me, actually, um, one of the most interesting was actually the one that won our student presentation competition. Um, and this was given by um, a student called Alice Scallery, who is also from Bragan um, University. And her presentation, for me, it was really interesting because it was on the subject of light for pigs, which is often really, really overlooked when we think of animal welfare. Most welfare work would look mostly at kind of the infrastructure on the farm or management, as Kiron was talking about there, um, even though we know that light is important for pigs. So what Alice um, presented to us was um, basically a literature review overlooking the whole area of light. And she broke it down into three different kind of main areas, one being the photo period, which is the duration of light during the day. Then she considered the intensity or the brightness of light and then finally, the spectrum of the light, so the colour that um, the pigs can see. And what she found when she looked at the literature was that the majority of work has been done um, on health, reproductive, biological functioning of the animal, um, a little bit um, on natural behaviour, but not very much at all in general um, on welfare. Um, and the few studies that she did find that looked at welfare um, did show actually that there can be significant effects. Um, so she, in the conclusion of her work really was that this is a whole area that needs to be looked into further. It could provide kind of um, options for producers, I suppose, that are relatively easy to take on board. Um, if you're considering changing things like the photo period or the intensity of your light, it might be easier to do than changing, say, the design of your pens or anything. So for me, I thought that was really interesting and, and has potential to be very relevant to producers as well. Yeah, it was a really interesting presentation. Kiron, there was a number of Chagas staff and students presenting at the conference. What were some of the key findings from these presentations? 
Yeah, there was quite a few, a very impressive range, especially there was a lot of students presented and we had a number of the staff, including Keelan. I suppose to, just to pick out a few there, um, Orla Canan, um, technician with us at the moment, did, did a master's with, with Keelan there and looked at the whole area of free lactation, um, you know, compared to the conventional crate. And we can see, look, the move is on towards moving towards um, free lactation, free farrowing systems down the line. You can see it when you go to trade shows, there's a lot more of those systems on display uh, and there's a lot of uh, lobbying going on and there's the end of cage um, coming from uh, Brussels as well. So it's it's an area we do need to be looking at and researching and, and thankfully, you know, Orla and Keelan have done some great work on that area. I suppose just to summarise some of the findings, they found that, you know, if, if pigs were reared and free lactation, now we're talking free lactation as opposed to free farrowing. So free lactation is where the, the sow is created for up to three days after she farrows and then she go, becomes loose. Uh, so she's basically lactating for for nearly four weeks uh, in a loose situation. Found a better locomotion score on those pigs. Uh, that would, I suppose, make sense because they're up and they're able to exercise more so than in the conventional system. Um, there were more deaths from crushing, but overall the, the, the piglet mortality was similar between the conventional and the, the loose system, which is, is, is a good, good thing to hear. Um, and the, the weaning weights of the pigs that were reared on, on the loose lactation system were heavier as well. So that's, that's positive for growth as well. And that followed through to the finishers. Um, and as Orla herself highlighted, like we're, we're, we're on a journey, I suppose, where eventually we will see free farrowing systems, but the, the, the free lactation certainly offers an intermediate solution in the interim for helping farmers to get used to uh, a free system. And so certainly, and she also referenced, you know, the work, there is more work to be done, especially with larger litters that we're seeing much larger litters nowadays. So there is a good bit more research to be done. And this is a good start from Chagas. Um, there was other students uh, presented, Martina Lagoda. She presented on a, a locomotion scoring tool that she's been developing that would look at the, the gait of the, the animals uh, and how to score lame animals and things like that, which was quite interesting. Um, Jordi Camp Montoro, uh, PhD student there, he was looking at the whole area of group size and how that might affect performance. So a range of group sizes from 10 up to 14 pigs in the Park unit. Um, and basically the findings from that was that there, there was no real effect on the group size. So the group size didn't impact. So the larger group didn't uh, have a poorer performance uh, than the smaller group size. But there was a bit more competition at the feeder. Um, but I suppose referencing Jacinta Bus's work earlier, that maybe pigs are able to compensate a bit more uh, for this by spreading their eating patterns over the course of the day and eating quicker when they are eating and things like that. So that, that was quite interesting. And then I suppose it would be remiss of me not to mention Keelan's presentation, um, where she talked about some work that Nina Aninka Van Stavern, a former PhD student of, of Laura Biles, did at Moorpark, and it was looking at the whole area of serious tail lesions. And I suppose this started when people started to get interested in tail, tail biting and issues that was causing on farms and, and what were the, the economic costs of that. And so through some, some really good work there at Moorpark, they found that where there was approximately 1% serious tail lesions, it was actually slightly less, 0.86%, it showed that there was a 5% decrease in average daily gain, uh, which resulted basically in an increase of seven days to slaughter, which as a farmer, there's a serious take-home message in that, you know, that you need to be looking at these lesions and treating them as needed and trying to avoid them in the first place. When they put the economics on this and ran it through the, the Moorpark model, um, they found that the impact on net pr profit of having this 0.86% serious tail lesion uh, resulted in a 15% decrease in, in net profit. So that just summarizes some of the multiple uh, Chagas presentations uh, that, that were all quite good during the, during the four days.
Keelan, there was also some past students from the pig department presenting also. What can we take from their work? So, yeah, we were delighted to welcome back some of the, um, our, our students that have they've left us now, but it's nice to see them again. Jen Yun Chow, who did a lot of work um, on enrichment here in Moorpark a few years ago. She's now working over as a researcher in the University of Pennsylvania. So as Kiran mentioned there, um, there's kind of moves towards providing animals with more freedom. It's the same in the US. Um, and Jen, there's Proposition 12, um, which was recently passed in California, which prohibits um, it's similar to end of the, the, the idea is similar to the end of the page age here to, to promote zero confinement. This actually affects about 15% of the pig production in the US. Um, so Jen's work over in Pennsylvania, um, she's focusing on sows kind of post-service and in the first four weeks of gestation, as opposed to sows in, in flowering crates or, or during the full gestation, because there's been an awful, there's been a very little work um, on this time, I suppose, due to the, the management needs of serving the cells and also the fact that they're quite vulnerable at this stage. They've lost a lot of weight and they could be um, vulnerable to mixing with new animals. So Jen, again, this was another review paper. Um, she looked into the literature and she actually only found three papers that specifically focused on this area. So again, I think she identified um, an important gap which might need a bit more work. Um, if there are going to be kind of pushes towards um, reducing the time that animals spend um, in crates. So another one of our ex-students that came back um, to present at the conference was Phoebe Hartnett. Phoebe's actually still working in Chagas, which is in the dairy department now. Um, and she presented some of the work that she carried out during her PhD in the pig department. So um, you'll probably recall Phoebe did work on um, methods of rearing gilts to try and optimize their health and welfare. And she had two main treatments. One of them was keeping the gilts in female-only groups from weaning onwards as opposed to mixing them with, with males. And the other treatment she had was providing them with some supplementary copper, zinc and manganese to see if this could improve their limb health. And what she presented at the conference was uh, um, the results of dissections she carried out on some of the front limbs to see whether these treatments did actually improve the health of the cartilage. Um, the gills were at breeding age when um, the limbs were removed from them, um, which is quite a, a young stage of their lives. But nevertheless, she found that all of them actually had some damage to their cartilage. But the good thing, I suppose, is that she found that the ones that were reared in female-only groups had significantly fewer lesions to the cartilage. So this shows the benefits of separating them early on in their life. And um, she also found that these gills had increased bone mineral density, the female only gills, particularly if they were supplemented with the additional minerals. So there were some benefits there as well. It was really great to see some of the excellent work from Chagas staff and students past and present over the few days. And I suppose... The striking thing about these projects is how practical they all were. Kiron, as well as the 88 oral presentations at the conference, there was a further 115 poster presentations. Was there anything we could learn from these? There was a lot to catch through, to be fair, uh, with the number of 118 uh, poster presentations. There was a hell of a lot over four days. Um, but yeah, I, I've just picked out two. Um, I suppose one, I've never really given it any thought, but if you, if you look at the whole area of, of farrowing and piglets being born with low energy reserves, and I suppose we all know that the, the, the most crucial thing for them when they're born is to get a, a good suck of colostrum, 
at the start. And the other key factor then is is heat and to make sure that they're they're warmed up and get 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 warmed up to, to normal temperatures as quickly as possible. And for this we have heat pads and we have infrared lamps and things like that. Um, but I never gave it actually much thought to see how long does it take a pig to get from being born onto uh, the, the heat pad itself or into the creep area. Um, so Stanbuck et al, they, they had some interesting uh, work where they timed uh, the amount of time it took from, from a, a pig litter being farrowed for 50% of them to get onto the heat pad. Uh, and it took a minimum of six hours, but up to 20 hours before it was 50%. So say a litter of 14, that it took uh, nearly up to 20 hours in some cases for at least seven of those pigs to get onto the heat pad, making sure that they were getting warmed up properly. And I suppose it was just interesting because it never occurred to me how long it would take something like that. But it does highlight the need for assistance and need for management around farrowing times to make sure that we're getting our pigs the, the necessary treatment and giving them the best start that we can give them. Uh, another interesting one, I suppose, interesting from a par farmer perspective, um, it was a Spanish work done by uh, Vidal Cardos, and he was looking at the whole area. It was a review of, of what farmers were doing and what strategies they were implementing to try and decrease tail biting on, on farms. Uh, and from his, his review of all the work that was being done, the two key take-homes were looking at the whole area of stocking density or stocking rates. Uh, and farmers saw that as one of the key key areas to focus on if you're trying to reduce tail biting incidents on farms uh, to make sure that your stocking rates are, are correct and not overstocked. Uh, and the other area was the whole area of enrichment that farmers ranked that quite high, uh, that the provision of, of environmental enrichment was important. Uh, and they did find that where multiple sources of enrichment, as in not huge numbers, but three, we say, so they we're looking at the likes of chains combined with wood and rope or chains with wood and, and uh, peat briquettes, things like that were, were working well for them on farms. So it was a combination of a few different sources of, of enrichment. Uh, and they were the two main ones that the, that the farmers were taking as their first steps if they were trying to address tail biting issues on their farms. Keelan, was there any standout posters for you? Um, well, I suppose I'm going to come back again to Chagas. We had some we'd, um, some very nice posters from our own team here again. One of them was from Shilpi Mistra, and Shilpi actually, is, her work focuses more on the environment. She's looking at how to um, optimise water use on pig farms because water is a very valuable environmental resource. Um, so Shilpi has looked, she's actually met quite a lot of you, I'd say, because she's gone out um, working on a few commercial farms, but she did some targeted work here in Moorpark to see if she could find some ways to reduce the amount of water that finisher pigs waste, because they actually use most of the drinking water on the farms. And they waste a lot of it as well, because if they're playing with drinkers, then that water just goes straight down through the slats. So Shilpi looked at the effect of group size and she also looked at the effect of providing them with some extra enrichment. The idea being that if you give them a rack, in our case, we filled it with fresh grass, but you could fill it with, with anything you want, really. Um, would that distract them away from the drinkers and then reduce the amount of water that was being wasted? And she actually found that this was the case. Not only was the behaviour spectrum better in the groups with more enrichment, so they would less aggressive behaviour, they would more enrichment directed behavior and they'd less damaging behavior but also they wasted significantly less water um, so this shows the i suppose the benefits um, to the producer and to the environment as well um, kind of a knock-on benefit um, to the benefits that the pigs get from providing 
in Richmond. She didn't really find a huge amount of an effect when it came to the size of the pen, but she did find that not with, with regard to wastewater, but she did find that there were fewer negative and damaging behaviors in the large groups as well. And, we just, and this is good because our large groups would reflect more the size of typical groups on commercial farms. Um, so that was that was quite a nice poster. And then the other um, poster that I'd like to highlight is by Roberta Delicio. She's a PhD student working on um, risk factors for tail biting. And she presented the work from her first project, which was looking at ways to try and refine the way we score pigs' tails in the factory. Um, we do a lot of work here in Moorpark looking at tails in the factory, but also it's something that more and more is being rolled out, I suppose, across the EU as a method of trying to, to reflect what's happening on farm. But as you can imagine, the setup of each factory is different. Um, in a, when, if there's a lot of this scoring going on, it's not going to be possible to examine each tail in detail. So what Roberta did was she compared a detailed examination using um, when you can hold the tail and look at it closely to just visual scoring. Um, and she also separated out scoring the actual teeth marks and bites the tail from bruising on the tail because we thought perhaps bruising may not be caused by tail biting, it could be caused by pigs bumping into each other or the equipment. So um, what she found, which was great, is that visually scoring the tails, so without needing to touch the tails or manipulate them, was actually almost as accurate as, as scoring them in that more detailed fashion. So this opens up the possibilities of just putting a camera in the factory or something rather than having to have a person there all the time. Um, she found that this is particularly accurate for the bruising, um, more so than the, the bite marks, but, but it was pretty accurate overall. And she did find as well that the bruising um, was, the amount of bruising was related to the amount of biting, so it, our tooth marks. So it does seem that the bruising is related in some way to biting behavior. Um, as opposed to just from, from damage caused by infrastructure. Um, so that was quite, there were, there were quite interesting posters, I think, and show again um, the relevance of the work that we do, I suppose, in Chagas to the industry in general. Keelan, you were also involved in arranging a workshop at the conference on the efforts we've made here in Ireland on raising pigs with intact tails. Could you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, so this workshop, the idea for the workshop came about because um, Tails are a topical issue, not only in Ireland, but across Europe at the moment. And Laura and I are involved in um, an EU project looking for looking at a, a precision livestock tool to try and help us predict when tail biting outbreaks might occur so that then we can go in and, and prevent them from happening before they become serious. So as part of this project, um, one of the things we're trying to do is interact with stakeholders in the pig industry and other researchers so that we can get feedback from people other people who are directly working with the pigs and help guide us so um the facilitator of the of the workshop was actually mona larson who's our partner in belgium um and so she coordinated most of the presentations at the workshop were were from ireland because we wanted to give an irish perspective because the conference was being held here so we started off with some presentations from the Department of Agriculture. Um, we got an overview, first of all, of some of the results 
that um, some of the results from the Department of Agriculture on-farm welfare inspections at the moment. So this provided a bit of a snapshot of what they're finding practically on-farm. And following this, then we had an update on the anti and post-mortem inspection protocols that DAFM are rolling out in factories in the country. Um, the anti ones are already up and running and the post-mortem ones hopefully soon. Um, Roberta then gave a presentation as well on her findings um, from the factory tail inspection she's carried out over the past year. And finally, then Carla Gomez and Animal Health Ireland provided um, information about what Animal Health Ireland are doing to kind of help move this whole area forward. Um, they're carrying out work with um, training um, PVPs to carry out their assessments and then um, gathering all of the data into a database. We also heard from somebody from the Danish Competence Authority to let us know what's happening over there. Um, and then once we'd all that background data covered, um, the project team provided an overview of what we're planning to do in the project, the, the specific tool that we're going to be using to try and predict the biting outbreaks. And finally then, I suppose more, the most important part of it, was we had some breakout groups where we where people were split into groups of about five or six people and discussed um, their own thoughts about what they'd heard, um, what they thought about the tool we were planning, some of the barriers that they thought would lead to adoption of it. Um, so it went really well. Uh, we have all of the presentations recorded and what we'd really like to do next is roll it out to stakeholders in the Irish pig industry because we'd really like to hear your opinions. Um, provide you with some of the information about what's happening in Ireland, very up-to-date information, obviously, because it's um, from up-to-date as of August this year. Um, and then, yeah, just really hear what you think about things and where you see things going and some of the opportunities or barriers um, that you can foresee. So that this would be, this is being organised by the Pig Department at the moment. We're hoping it will be in the next few months and it'll be advertised in the Chagas newsletter. Thanks for joining me, Keelan and Kieran. Really interesting to hear what you both took from the conference. Um, some really interesting research points there for producers. It's also great to find out about the upcoming workshop for our producers as well. Thanks. Thanks million, No bother, Amy. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode of The Pig Edge. And many thanks to Keelan and Kieran for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more farming information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Amy Quinn. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join me next month for another episode of The Pig Edge.